welcome back to Night Cheese. This is Steven. And I'm Tim. And I'm Jared. And we want to thank you for joining us again. Hope you enjoyed the last episode on National Treasure. And thank you for joining us this week for our episode titled Should Have Called an Uber. Um, that title may or may not be a placeholder by the end of the episode, but that was the best we could come up with. Um, so we're tonight we'll be discussing the 2004 uh, film Collateral, which is uh, directed by Michael Mann, not to be compu- confused with a few other more recent titles that share that name. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say this is by far the best film that that has that title um that i'm aware of but this uh 2004 film directed by michael mann starring jamie fox and tom cruise uh and a few others that we'll get into as well but mainly those two um came uh came in 2004 um a pretty pretty strongly uh rated film with uh rotten tomatoes uh the critics and users had it in the mid 80s uh critics had it as an 86 percent users is 84 percent and then a strong 7.5 on imdb as well um so i i don't know about you guys uh collateral for me is one of these films that just um i think i just forget how much i love it uh, until I go back and see it. I think it, it really sneaks through um, a lot uh, because it's, I don't know, it's this sort of like, like it's listed as a crime drama thriller. It's kind of got this sort of neo-noir feel to it. Uh, it's very, it's, 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 it's entirely at night. Um, uh, on the streets of Los Angeles. And most of the film is uh, shot inside of a taxi cab where Jamie Foxx is uh, the cab driver and Tom Cruise is his uh, sort of sudden, unexpected passenger. Um, So anyways, uh, a lot of uh, intense, you know, filming just inside the cab. uh, And then, you know, it spreads out to multiple places as well. But um, yeah, what what are your guys' kind of initial or even, you know... uh, well, I don't know. You know, I don't know that we've really talked about the finer points of our experiences with this film um, and how new this is to us. Tim, I know I, I know we've talked about it years ago, I think, just in conversation. So I yeah. know you've at least saw it for the first time a long time ago. Oh, yeah. But um, what's your what's your relationship with with this film? Yeah. So this this was one of those movies that I was and uh, when it came out in 2004, for whatever reason, maybe it was a trailer I don't think I knew a ton about Michael Mann then. Maybe I did. I don't know. But I was all in for this. I was so excited. I convinced some friends to go see it. So we all went to the little tiny theater in, you know, Tacoa, Georgia, the triple Cineplex. And, yeah, man. Uh, and loved this movie. I, it, it, yeah, I, I was, I was just enraptured by this film. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I probably it probably it's probably been about ten five ten years since I've seen the film and I was kind of like you see when I'd kind of forgotten how much I loved it but I also kind of just expected for it to kind of you know just I don't know if it's just you know over time you know just like losing its luster I just kind of expected it to I expected myself to not enjoy it as much um, but watching it for this episode I kind of just fell in love with it all over again I just it didn't, it didn't really suffer, you know, even things that maybe in the past that might've bothered me this time. I just, I just really, really enjoyed this film a lot. I will say the only 
thing. I did, <laughs> this is nothing to do with the film itself, but the movie-going experience. I do distinctly remember I went with this group of friends that I convinced to go, and there was one person in our group that was sitting beside me, and every time, like, someone would, you know, say, you know, use profanity or, like, there'd be some sort of violence, they'd be like, oh, my goodness, that's so horrible. He just killed that guy. Oh, my gosh. That's – and, like, every time. And I that was the only thing that really – you know, I, I saw that movie a couple of times in theaters because of that. But it was hilarious because I was like, that's the point. He's a hitman. You're not supposed to be okay with this. Anyway, it was – I was kind of having to defend the movie while watching it. It was just – I that was the only uh, thing I, I, I distinctly remember, and it was pretty pretty painful. But not the film itself, but that, that person. <laughs> Well, you know, it was a new way to look at Tom Cruise at that point. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So yeah, I'd like to come back to that actually uh, in a minute. But uh, Jared, what what what's your what's your relationship with Collateral, if any? Yeah. Um, so I saw it. I would say probably I didn't. I don't. I don't think I saw it in the theater. I think I saw it like you know within six months, maybe a year of of when it came out on on DVD. And um, I mean, the trailer looked interesting enough but um i just for whatever reason didn't see it in the theater but yeah i it, it's funny basically your description of it is almost identical to mine in that you know i really enjoyed it the first time and i forget like how good of a movie i think it is i think for some reason um i like i don't really enjoy a ton like there's some movies that i love that i mean i've watched the matrix over and over i've watched mad max fury road over and over and, and certain ones but some of the ones even though i may love it i don't you know get as much replay value out of some of them and and this is one for me for whatever reason that i don't get a ton of replay value out of seeing it over and over but you know this is maybe the third time i've seen it now and uh yeah it's been i'm sure 10 plus years since i saw it and i really do uh still enjoy it i think it holds up um, I love night movies around LA. That's a very specific, uh, little, <laughs> little subset there. Uh, and I can only think of a handful, uh, night crawler being, being another oh, one with, yeah, with Jake, one. Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, there's just something about that setting of night movies around LA that, that I really love. Um, so yeah, this, this held up really well and it was good to, to go back and, um, revisit it again. Yeah. So, um, for our audience, you know, I, I don't know exactly the, the depth of, uh, filmmaking knowledge that everybody has. So just in case we have listeners who are just kind of, you know, and are just fans of movies and just like going on for the ride. Um, if you don't know a lot about Michael Mann, uh, please, uh, that he had, he's a really, I'd say a highly underrated director cause he doesn't really get that sort of like Scorsese or Spielberg love from from what I know people people tend to not bring up his name um, and granted his resume is not as prolific as those other two directors but um, one is he doesn't have the quantity that either of them do but I will say um, he had a let's see let me do the count real quick like a five a five movie uh, run from 92 to 2004 counting collateral as the last one of the five that are just all um all winners 
uh, in their own way. Um, these are the the films he directed from 1992 to 2004. He directed uh, The Last of the Mohicans uh, in 92. Uh, in 1990, he in 1995. This is probably the most familiar film of mine to his, other than Collateral, and the most reminiscent to Collateral as well. Was uh, Heat with uh, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro and Val Kilmer. Uh, I almost said fan of the podcast, uh, actor who, <laughs> who the podcast is a fan of, I should say, Val Kilmer. Um, 1999's The Insider, um, also with Al Pacino and Russell Crowe. And then 2001's Ali, uh, the Muhammad Ali uh, biopic, which Jamie Foxx was in, which was the first time I think Jamie Foxx and Michael Mann worked together. And he ended up working with... Um, Jamie Foxx on his next two or three movies because he got him for Collateral and he also did that remake of Miami Vice which was not as great um, but that, you know, it still had that man vibe on it though. Um, anyway, uh, so, you know, you have five really solid um, uh, well-rated films in a row there and and I can say especially for Heat and and for Collateral at least, because those are the ones that are freshest in my mind out of those, is that he has a real way of directing. Um, he, he, um, I should say, I, I watched a featurette on Collateral today. I found out in the DVD that I owned, I, I owned some sort of two disc edition back when, back when you bought DVDs and you could get the two disc version, you know, that had all the extra stuff on it. <laughs> 2004, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and, he talked about the action sequences in the film needing to make emotional sense. Um, so he's not a, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying normally I would say this as an insult, but I don't mean it tonight. Uh, he, you know, he's not a Michael Bay in that having action for action's sake. Like um, if something is happening, you're going to feel sort of the emotional consequences of those decisions. And he's very character driven, I guess is what you could say. And he has that drive the story. And so for a movie that really is predominantly conversations that happen in a taxi in between very brief and one-sided action sequences, um, it's, uh, it's really compelling. And, um, you know, people, a lot of people I know that they're fans of heat, um, is for all the action that's in that movie, Everyone I know who extols the virtues of that movie always go back to a scene that's just a conversation in a diner between uh, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. And so, um, you know, not all of that is obviously all that praise is is, is heaped on on man's head um, because he's obviously working with some really talented people. But there is a common thread there um, with with his work. And so um, it is really, really interesting to see how he does that. So, and I wanted to say uh, about Tom Cruise, I, I think uh, one of the reasons this movie um, I, I love it so much, although I forget about it a lot, is I think if you like, if you were to ask me, I don't know that I would say it, but honestly, if I go revisit a lot of my favorite films, Tom Cruise might be one of my favorite actors, um, based on the films that I like, you know, um, he has a lot of, you know, I think he gets, well, for, for a lot of reasons, he has some reputations, um, both on and off camera, but, but, you know, I think he definitely gets that, you know, he gets probably most associated with the Ethan Hunt character you know from mission impossible or that kind of role mm -hmm. um but really like the movies where he gets an opportunity to do something different 
um, he's got a lot of range. Um, you know, I have looked at a few good men um, and sort of the immature kind of to growth to maturity story arc he has in that movie. Tim, we did an episode on that earlier last year. And then uh, I think of Collateral and, and his um, really just kind of indifferent, you know, cold, calculated assassin. Um, Magnolia, which is a whole nother thing. And even Tropic Thunder, which was a comedy, but still like a, a whole nother angle of him. Um, you know, he's he's got a lot of layers. And... Um, I don't know. Just, I, I, I've enjoyed. I, I find myself enjoying just about every film that he he tries something in. You know, um, and you can't say that for a lot of actors. Yeah, I I was thinking. You know, I I can't remember. I don't know if this is maybe the only Tom Cruise movie that I can remember where he's a villain. And I mean, even then, he's a sort of. Um, and and I'm sure there have been others. It's just the only one that comes to mind for me. Um, but it, 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 I, this is not a reflection of his talent, but I was kind of thinking of him, and Stephen will, will appreciate this reference, as sort of the John Cena of actors, <laughs> where he would probably be really good as a heel and a villain, but <clears throat> just for whatever reason, he, he doesn't really do it. He, he tends to a lot of times play a, a similar character, uh, and you really wish like, ah, oh, you just, you just need to go for it the other way, go all in with this. And Turn, you know, he doesn't. So I'm turns glad he's out. He's the Hulk Hogan of actors, <laughs> right? There he's actually go. just as good as a bad guy as he is a good guy. Um, <laughs> he, you know, I think collateral, uh, you could make the argument that he was, well, he definitely wasn't a good person. Um, but I don't know if I call him the a villain in Magnolia, but he's definitely a hateable character. Um, that's probably the first one though. I, Cause I was about to say collateral might be the first time he actually plays a villain. Um, I'm just doing a, a brief look over. I don't know how you feel about interview with the vampire. I, I guess that's a little true, you know, I don't know, but, but I think just as an out and out undeniable, irredeemable villain yeah. collateral is, was the real start of that. And, um, he did, you know, he, 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 and I think he, he got into that just it, a little bit here and there after that still, still definitely leaning on the bankable action star way more. Um, so I'd say, uh, we can't, I, I'll try not, I promise I won't get too deep into the metaphor here, but it's kind of like, it's kind of like when John Cena goes to wrestle in Philadelphia or something, you know, like, so you go. he, he goes into a few hostile crowds and just plays to it. Yeah. Um, Chicago, then, Chicago yeah. with CM Punk or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, yeah, but he really gets into it. And, um, you know, the, the, the very interesting thing is, um, uh, Cruz was talking about working with Michael Mann and how how well prepared Mann was for sort of educating Cruz on what kind of background uh, his character Vincent would have had and stuff and and Cruz was even saying like I was taken aback because like this is the stuff I do like yeah. like like I'm already doing yeah. it and I'm working with a director who's already doing that work for me and like he was just so impressed with that and um talking about shooting LA at night and he was just, you know, man was just talking about how much he loves LA and um, watching this interview was really amusing because he was talking to Jamie Foxx and Jamie Foxx is retelling the story of man approaching him. He's like, you and me, man, we're from the hood. I, I know we can do it. And he's like, <laughs> 
I, I'm sorry, <laughs> what? He's like, no, really. He's like, he's like, cause so, so, you know, I, I know we're, we're going to get some good locations and stuff and, and you're going to understand everything. And he's like, you know, Fox is just laughing at him. And then he goes on to say, he's like, and then Michael Mann took me to some locations in LA, like that I had never even been to before. And I'm like, why? we need to be locking our doors, man. What do you, <laughs> you know, what do you do? So like, uh, you know, apparently he has a real, a real rich and thorough understanding of the, of the various landscapes and, and areas uh, and, and Los Angeles and downtown and, and all these places. Yeah. And uh, what's so interesting to me is he was so meticulous that he shot multiple neighborhoods and locations to create like one apartment building. Um, so like, you know, when they're going to one location and Vincent is going up the stairs, that's one building, but the alley that they're in is a completely different area of the city and all this other stuff. And, you know, listen, this is probably not all that uncommon for, for some filmmakers, but to the level uh, of detail that he was yeah. really willing to go to it is, is pretty, pretty, yeah. at least it really impressed the other people working on the movie. And I take that as a note <laughs> that it's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. I gotta say every, or not every, but almost you know, the, the exterior shots, I mean, it's, the way, you know, the selections that he made were just mind-blowing with the skyline in the background. All these shots, like you said, like just outside of an apartment building and you see these skyscrapers in the background so kind of perfectly set up. I mean, it, I'm sure, I can't imagine, like I was thinking about how much work that had to have been. Um, and then he also talked about how he, you know, tested out different, you know, taxi cab colors and different exterior shots, you know, with the natural lights of the, you know, street lights to make sure it worked on film. I mean, it just seems like it's so much more of a of a daunting task than I had even thought about. Just kind of in looking at the kind of sort of behind the scenes, it seems like there was so much that went into each of these uh, different settings. It was incredible. And even lighting the interior of the cab because they're yeah. driving at <laughs> night and everything, like the the depths that they went to um, to to get the uh, the, the lighting right. Um, it was crazy. Like they had all these like panels and, and that, that were like, you know, in 2004 anyways, these panels that were f found in, in the back of, um, cell phones. Yeah. Like the backlight, uh, like yeah. the backlighting of cell phones. They would like take those panels and tape them up to the roof of the cab just to get the right light color and stuff for, uh, for the interior shots. It's great. If yeah. you look on YouTube, uh, dear listeners, if you're interested, I know I don't, I know you guys probably hate it when I give additional homework, <laughs> but, um, there is a, there's a YouTube clip. This is, this is the same featurette that was on the DVD I had. It's just called Collateral, The Making Of. And it's a, a YouTube channel called Behind the Scenes DVD Film School. It's about 40 minutes long. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty thorough. But, nice. but um, if you enjoy this movie, it, it offers some really great insight yeah. into, into everything. Yeah. Not, just, not just the technical stuff, but the, the narrative yeah. and, and all kinds of things. It's really good. Yeah, um, I was, I've watched that that. Is as well and one of the things i don't know how much we want to dive into it but one of the things that yeah. i and i'm sure we can well we all can attest to this one of the things i loved about the film was just the the simple just the way it was shot um mm. and the way mm. la became its own sort of character and personality um and always made me like la more at night than during the day <laughs> it was <laughs> the way they and you know this is back when you know digital um like digital video was was still relatively new and this kind of things that man wanted to accomplish with like being able to actually see, you know, 
all this light, you know, during during the night, you know, all these kind of skylines, these really the kind of far off exterior shots, um, all that really couldn't really be done on film, um, and them kind of finding a way to make it work uh, on digital, like on HD, is just it, it gives it its own sort of like noirish like feel to it, and I, I really, I'm I'm just so impressed that that was they were kind of like charting, you know, they were kind of you know, pioneering this new territory of, of filming. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, like, like even with the lighting and the taxi cab, like he wanted everything to be, you know, it, he wanted it to be a real taxi cab. So they had to kind of work around and figure out ways to light something as simple as that. And um, it, yeah, I, I just love all that went into that and all the, all the work and the fact that they weren't trying to make it, make digital look like a, f- a film movie. They were trying to, do their own thing with digital, make their own look. And uh, I, I just, yeah, I, I still, that I think might've been, I don't want to say my favorite aspect of the film, but I definitely, that was one thing I was just really curious about after watching that, like how they accomplished all, all of what they did with the making LA at night, just kind of really come to life. I, I and I don't know this, I, I may be completely misremembering this. Um, in some ways it reminded me of, um, and I know Stephen will know this reference, um, the shield TV series. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't know like if, if how accurate that actually is, but it, I think, you know, it's, it's probably, you know, obviously the shield was not, you know, nearly as, as, as beautifully shot as this, but something about, I think just sort of the atmosphere of all of it. And, you know, they were around the same time periods. And, um, I think the shield was set in, in LA, um, all these different things. Somehow it kind of reminded me and and just having, you know, having this character that's, he's, I mean, he he is, he is the villain, uh, of the movie, but there's something you like about him. And I, I don't know, it just all somehow kind of reminds me of the shield in a way. Yeah. Well, you know, he is, there is, there is a sort of graininess to what's going on and sort of something kind of raw, um, about it too, that, that reminds me of both properties yeah. there of collateral yeah. and the shield. And, it's and oh. no, go ahead. I think so. that to me is so kind of fascinating is because like, I feel in order to get accomplished a lot of what they wanted to do as far as really, you know, seeing a lot of the nightlife and, and really kind of upping that, the light, you know, um, allowing that much kind of light, it kind of, you know, you have to find that balance. And, and, you know, as you do that, like in with digital, you, uh, the, the grain starts to appear, you know, become more prominent. And I love how they kind of embraced it in a certain way where it, it, it really works for the film, even, you know, um, even though it's not something I guess you would normally want or kind of try to achieve, but in, in sort of, you know, coming up with this this look to be able to see, you know, all that you can see with these, you know, night vistas that it kind of creates this grain and makes it, it its own thing, almost like a documentary-esque. Yeah. I don't know. I, it, it just felt so real because of it. I, I'm, yeah. I, I loved watching this movie. Well, yeah. See all this all over that, again. It's that and, you know, this is just something I really enjoy. Uh, something I rediscovered that I really love are films that just take place in a really short amount of time. Mm, like yeah. um, this film is just one night, yeah. you know, like mm-hmm. Cru- Cruz arrives at the airport, which 
uh, I'm going to try to go through the whole plot right now. I know we'll, we'll jump into some plot points as we get along, but uh, runs into Jason Statham. Hello. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I think that that's another fun thing about this movie is the rewatchability of the stock of the supporting <laughs> cast. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Jason yeah. Statham. Jason Statham is a nobody in this film. Um, <laughs> literally just drops off a briefcase you don't see him ever again. Makes you wonder um, if this is like early in the Fast and Furious franchise. You know, this is in that universe that we just ne- you yeah, never know. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly. He's he he's he just got a job transporting yeah. right after. It, well, and you know you know the the people who who made this sort of had some integrity, or at least the you know production company maybe didn't think to do this or Jason Statham didn't agree to do this because there's probably a prequel in there of where we go and see like the night before Jason mm. Statham and they even reference in the movie and you don't you don't know if it was Cruz's character or you know another hitman in sort of this little club or whatever how mm. there was another case where a cabbie went around yeah. during the night and killed three people and then killed himself. So yeah, it was like in Oakland or something. It was just, up, uh, yeah, they said it was like a little North yeah. uh, of there and it happened like eight months prior or something like that. Right. Yeah. So you have Jason Statham in this movie. You have Mark Ruffalo in here, you know, pre, pre Hulk, um, <laughs> by, by a while, um, by about yeah. eight years. And, uh, you know, playing the police detective. And then we, we were talking about this before we started, but, uh, Javier, Bardem uh, makes an a, appearance here, you know, un, unrecognizable to me for for a number of years until this time, this time around. Um, all and everybody pulling their weight, man, so much. It, it felt like, you know, it felt like an unfunny Ocean's Eleven almost. <laughs> like, and that sounds like an insult, but it, but I just mean like all these heavy hitters come in and and just do the job that is asked of them you know it seems like a very unselfish movie like it's almost as if michael mann was like this story is about jamie fox and tom cruise Mm -hmm. and everybody and and it's almost like all these other actors were like well i love the story so much i'll just do whatever you give me and 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 he's like cool because i'm gonna do the story i want to do like that's that's almost how feels like how it came out and and everybody just played along because because there's never anybody in the movie um you know in in the past i thought less of jada pinkett smith's role but actually i really liked her this time around too she just wasn't on screen for very long Mm -hmm. like her you know her opening scene her, she has a scene at the beginning and a scene at the end basically you know but mm-hmm. but um her introduction to Jamie Foxx is a charming little scene yeah. um and i think that says a lot about i'm very interested maybe now's the time as good as any in Jamie Foxx and Tom Cruise characters and how they intertwine in this movie and how both of them are root, kind of rooted in how they look at LA um, cause Tom Cruise's character hates it. Like he comes in, obviously at that point you don't, unless you haven't seen the trailer, you know, unless you've mm-hmm. seen the trailer or something, you don't really know what he's doing there, but he's very, he's already very detached. Mm-hmm. Like his, his whole demeanor is detached. He's friendly and he's polite, but he's very detached. He's like, ugh. He's like, he's like, you know, so Jamie Foxx is small talking to him like, so, you know, this is your first time in L.A. He's like, 
No, he's like, anytime I get here, I can't wait to get out. But at the soon, but immediately he's like, what about you? You know, he's like, and Jamie Foxx has an interesting response. He just says, it's my home. Um, and the more, you know, it, that's after he has that, that chance encounter with Jada Pinkett Smith. Mm-hmm. But, um, his whole demeanor with her is this big flex on how he knows the city better <laughs> than she does. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, you know, I don't know. I can't imagine too many men in the world who would have the confidence to kind of put themselves out there with, you know, as a cab driver mm-hmm. versus, you know, a U.S. attorney. Um, and, you know, and, you know, a, and, and, and a, an attractive one at that that is showing interest in him. Like, you know, so he's, you know, the, the fact that he's. Um, the fact that we find that so much of his life is kind of this, um, Tim, you'll get a kick out of this. So, so much of this Aaron Burr personality of (laughs) not taking, not taking advantage of opportunities that are right in front of him. Um, being inside that cab seems to be like this Superman cape around him or something like he's, he's confident that way. And he feels like he knows, you know, he, he feels strong and, and all that. And so it's interesting that as the night goes on, that cab and his personality starts to break down both physically and, you know, metaphorically. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, though, Cruz kind of starts to lose his edge a little bit as well. Like you don't see it as much with him, but he becomes a little less indifferent and a little more kind of like I, I gave, I gave Tim a, an analogy, Jared, here's one for you. Kind of yeah. like, um, agent Smith progressing through the matrix films, like a little yeah. less robotic and a little more human, not yeah. necessarily kind and empathetic, but <laughs> definitely a little more human, um, in his attachment to things. And, and it's, I don't know, it's, 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 it's fascinating to see that. And, and it, I think it's all, so much of it is tied around, um, I really wish I'd written this out before because I had all these thoughts today thinking about it, but I couldn't really make sense of it. I think so much is tied around that first story that Cruz tells Jamie Foxx when they're in the camp, when they're talking about, you know, loving or hating LA, um, one of the criticisms that Cruz has is that it's so spread out. And he tells the stories. I heard a story that a guy died on the subway and nobody even noticed. Like he was just slumped over in his chair and nobody noticed for like 10 hours or something. Um, and he's just like, everybody's so isolated and, and disconnected from each other. But mm-hmm. Cruz is too. He's disconnected. Of course you find out he kind of has to be disconnected if he's going to go around killing people. Um, and not be attached and stuff. But that does not seem to, you know, that does not seem to be Fox's view on the world because his whole MO is that he wants to advance. This is what he says anyways, uh, you know, it's up for debate, but, um, that he wants to launch his cab driving into owning a limo company and create an experience that people never want to be disconnected from. Yeah. Um, so he's very much in wanting to invest in people and connect with people. And Cruz is very far from that. Um, and both of those things kind of affect the way the rest of the night goes. And they, um, 
directly or indirectly, I don't know, end up rubbing off on each other, whether they like it or not. And seeing those lines cross throughout the movie is really fascinating to, to behold. Yeah, I am. I I think you kind of said it with, with talking about, I mean, I guess to me, the way I see it is like with sort of the, it's sort of Vincent, Tom Cruise's character, um, almost sort of taking it upon himself to be in, in a weird, in a very w- weird way, like like a big brother to this guy mm, who's yeah. who, evil he's, fairy godmother or something. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> because because part of it is it, it, it is what you're saying is like the, as the cab breaks down, you know his his personality breaks down. But I guess I guess the way I see it is more like he's cruises or Vincent is forcing him out of the cab, and like you said he's kind of got this little like Superman cape on within the cab, but he can't translate that out in, into the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, he can't call the girl. He can't get his company started. He can't uh, do all, you know, he can't stand up to his mother. He can't do all these things. And Cruz is basically forcing him out of his comfort zone and, you know, making him become um, that person and and part of it is intentional like they've they've got that conversation where uh cruz is gonna uh vincent's gonna go in to kill the second guy and he zip ties him to the you know um steering wheel and the guy back at the station calls and so so he's i mean he, he he could just have him give him some sort of excuse or something yeah. But he actually provokes him, you know, forces him into telling the guy off. Yeah. Um, and then and then really where you see it turn is where he makes him go in to impersonate him to get the, the backup set of data of the list of people he's got to kill. Because in there, uh, Max goes in and he knows he's in a situation where. They, they, they will just kill him. Like they're on yeah. the verge of probably killing him. If he doesn't all of a sudden just bust out this bit of confidence and be the person that he is in the cab, basically tell him like play the role of this, this actual hitman. Um, and so, yeah, I, I really did uh, appreciate, especially the, the side of, of, of Vincent um, rubbing off on Max and bringing that part of him out uh, but you're right. It, it works both ways. Um, and, and, you know, it, it kind of breaks down, uh, it, I guess Max sort of, uh, exposes some of Vincent's hypocrisy and, and things like that. So, yeah, you know, it's really fascinating how Vincent just kind of takes him under his wing kind of by force, I guess you're talking about him <clears throat> kind of, t- you know, not just getting him to tell off his boss, but he's, he kind of mm. advocates for him too, like mm-hmm. unprovokingly. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, by the point where he's like, you know, on the one hand, it's interesting because I think in Vincent's way of viewing the city in his worldview of wanting to be connected to people, I think he strikes a nerve with Vincent early on and it just doesn't show. But like Vincent keeps making decisions that connects him to Max. Like there are, there, there there are a number of things he could have done in any of those situations, but he chooses to kind of reveal to Max that that his boss has liability insurance. So no, he can stand up for himself in this case, or he, um, 
he does, you know, he saves his life in the uh, club at the end. Uh, I mean, you know, in the split second thing, like he could have let him get shot, um, but he didn't. He like intervened on his behalf. And then this is such a small thing. But when like, you know, he he hides it under the guise of of everything has to look like it's a normal night so as not to draw attention to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but so they go to visit his mom at the hospital, but he tells he makes him buy flowers for his mother. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. He's like, listen, man, she's not going to like that. And he's like, she carried you in her womb for nine months. Like he's, yeah. he's, you know, saying these kinds of things, like have some respect for your mother. And that whole scene is interesting too. Like someone, they didn't use it. They didn't use this language, but this is my own, you know, MCU centric nerdiness here. But, but, you know, after that point, like even his mother, like once she learns that Vincent made her buy the flowers, she actually appreciates <laughs> them yeah. uh, instead. And yeah. after that, they almost have this sort of Thor and Loki relationship yeah. where yeah. like, where like he looks at Max kind of like a brother, but he hates him. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's strange. It's not. It's not as sentimental, you know, as as the MCU, of course. But, but, but there is this sort of like, I could have killed you a long time ago, and I don't know why I haven't, right. and I'm probably not going to. But you know, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, it, it's 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 a uh, pretty interesting to see play out there um, in that way, and and yeah, you know, eventually, like you said, Jared, you know, he's. He's pushing Vincent out to where, you know, he starts to grow and have that confidence, and then that that kind of backfires on him. Yeah. Um, toward towards towards the end, and um, just a fantastic uh, sequence they use. Um, Shadow on the Sun by uh, Audio Slave. Uh, during the sequence where they have, you know, they just have this like coyote just happened across the street. Uh, yeah. Um, which. I'm still not sure how they pulled that off. I guess they just got one or something. I, I don't know if they just got one or if they just yeah. happened to catch that um, on, on a film. But um, yeah. but it was in the script. Yeah. Um, so because uh, I remember the crew saying, like, I saw as soon as I saw this in the script, I'm like, oh, oh, what are we going to do with that? <laughs> like he was just he's, like he automatically saw the magic of what that was, apparently. Yeah. But but uh, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious because that seems yeah. to be kind of the. Um, the top well, of the roller coaster. Well, and that, there, that and, moment. And, and there were two coyotes. And so I don't know. I was curious to, yeah, to discuss that scene. Like if you guys had ideas about if those were somehow representative of the two of them, because it was mm. two coyotes, I think just yeah. like randomly crossing the street there. And, and I'm sure those were probably it, with movies, you can get all kinds of like trained, sure. trained animals. So I would imagine that they were, you know, I feel like it's gotta be, representative of them in a way like i think it has something to do with you know usually that's a pack mentality and in the one hand you've got vincent who is a complete loner in this city um but i've heard it actually i've heard it taken from both ways before you know yeah vincent who's complete loner and he's in a city that he really doesn't know anything about he's he's at vincent's mercy in a way to get his job done but at the same time you could look at it as vincent and like even though he he does not have that confidence, although he starts to display it as soon as that scene happens, yeah, that he's really the king of that city compared to the two of them. Like, this is his home. He knows where everything is. 
he is he can be the one in control if yeah. he wants to be and i think that's where he starts to take yeah. it like yeah. he's like no he's like i'm just not putting up with your stuff anymore yeah. and and you start to see and hear just just a little bit in anxiety that moment um that, that he's feeling threatened yeah. but uh yeah. this is a great sequence that what a great song choice too. yeah that that still is one of the more striking scenes that in any film that i can think of. like it it it's still even i mean just you kind of freeze and just i i don't know it's it just it's so such a small but powerful moment i yeah i i still kind of yeah just oh man, i get goosebumps thinking about it mm-hmm there's a um you know that that sequence ends up in a uh car car crash or whatever and or it starts off actually with him pulling into pulling into traffic like side swiping a bunch of vehicles before things get going <laughs> and uh fox had an interesting anecdote about that he was like so he's like these crown victorias you know they don't handle super well so fox did a lot apparently of like racing uh, work like on tracks and stuff like that in the crown Vic because they wanted him to be so confident behind the wheel that he would know how to handle it at high speeds and stuff like that and everything and and um he said yeah you know um so uh the script called me to sideswipe one car and then you know go in to the flow of traffic you know i did that but these cars are so big and to maneuver not only did i hit that then i hit a mercedes benz which oh. backed into another car and everything and then we got along and we finished the take and everybody came running towards me and they ran right past me to see if tom was okay <laughs> <laughs> he was like oh yeah let's just get the 20 million guy let's make sure he's okay <laughs> and everything but uh he's like i'm fine guys it's okay <laughs> yeah but uh oh man yeah the a lot of a lot of uh vehicular damage in that movie for sure yeah oh gosh you, so a little bit ago you mentioned uh you know that we, we briefly brought like Mark Ruffalo's character and Javier Bardem, and I know I told you guys before the that we recorded, but uh, um, I I don't know how, but I completely so you know there's that you know the the kind of main obviously the main story, but you know this sort of chemistry, this back and forth, this this relationship between um, you know Max and Vincent, but I completely forgot about the kind of secondary storyline happening at the same time with you know, Mark Ruffalo's character as a, you know, um, this undercover cop and all them kind of also at the same time figuring um, out that there is this person, you know, killing these people throughout the night. I, I, um, I completely forgot. And it, and it's not, and I feel bad saying that because I, I don't want it to sound like that wasn't compelling at all or wasn't interesting because I thought, you know, Ruffalo was great. Javier Bardem was great. A lot of that cast, they were really um, phenomenal, but I just, I don't know how I, t- I totally forgot about that that pretty pretty big element of the of the film as well it totally i i when i saw like mark ruffalo appear i was like wait mark ruffalo's in this you know i was <laughs> bardem everybody i was just completely shocked yeah mm-hmm. yeah and so yeah I, these the, both of them definitely snuck under the radar mm-hmm. um with me and remembering them i mean that's a testament to fox's performance and cruz's yeah. performance uh as well and you know i i don't think it really gets enough um, I I don't think it really gets enough credit for um Fox and Cruise because this yeah. movie was a risk 
for both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Jamie Foxx had not done any, uh, I'd say, any high-profile, um, you know, serious movies, I guess you could say. Uh, until up, up at this point, he was still um, very much mainly a comedic actor. Um, he had done... Um, uh, he had done Ali, you know, with 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 uh, with Michael Mann, um, and he had done Any Given Sunday, which I mean, sports drama, you know, not not really exactly the same. But this this movie really opens the doors. Like, um, I, I do want to say real quick, I don't think I got into um, the awards, but Jamie Foxx, to my knowledge, I'm, I, I could very well be wrong about this, but this is the only time I've come across this and remembered it after uh, you know researching it is the only actor I'm aware of that was nominated for two different acting Oscars at the same Oscars for two Mm -hmm. different movies. He was nominated for collateral for best supporting actor. And uh, for what it's worth, he was also nominated for best supporting actor at the golden globes and the SAG awards as well. Um, But he was also nominated for best actor for Ray uh, in the same year, the Ray Charles uh, biopic. Um, and he uh, he did lose the supporting actor uh, award to Morgan Freeman uh, for Million Dollar Baby. That was the year that Million Dollar Baby won Best Picture. Um, but he did win Best Actor for Ray, so he he got away from that. But like you know, he he goes on from here to do more serious, act, seriously toned action films. Uh, I mean, he did do Ray, although he was doing it at the same time. He did the uh, Jarhead with Jamie Fox. Uh, not Jamie Foxx, with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, sorry. He's Jamie Foxx. Um, the Kingdom, uh, he was in that as well, which uh, I think is also a really underrated uh, war film. Um, and, you know, he's still kind of kept things in, in comedic areas, but but still, you know, I mean, of course, and then he had, you know, Django Unchained, of course, uh, the Tarantino film, which was awesome. Um, but he, um, he really had, the, I think that was probably his biggest imprint into um into serious roles um and then Cruz, you know we talked about earlier with some of his other departures um but this was i think his really first heavily marketed tom cruise is the villain mm-hmm. um movie and so like this was a big risk you know if you think about it for for both of them uh, and for michael mann and um this film did did go to number one at the box office for a week uh I'd, i'm trying to remember now it, it was there for a week it had unseated oh i can't remember now i want to say an animated film of some kind but um but then ended up <laughs> i do say i remember it ended up getting getting unseated by alien versus predator <laughs> um as it's kind should, of a as it should have <laughs> well you know g- given that uh alien versus predator uh uh unseated such a such a great film i suppose that tagline works uh, whoever wins we lose right <laughs> yeah. um oh gosh i'm gonna try to see if i can go by by week and and try to find where it was but it was uh <laughs> well and while, while you're doing that i was i really yeah, kind of I, forgot to tie up um that last big point i was making you know was you know basically this is if you boil down the premise of a lot of movies and and think about them it's kind of interesting and, and i mean for this one to me it's basically a guy having 
a crazy near death experience. Mm -hmm. Um, because I mean, uh, you know, ultimately the, the sort of the moral or the lesson is the same is, is seize the moment. Um, Vincent even tells him at one point they're talking about, I can't, I can't remember if they referenced 10 years later or something like that. And, and Vincent tells him, you don't know where you're going to be 10 minutes from now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think that was one of the things that, that kind of stuck with me. And, and one of the lessons that I enjoy from any, any property really, um, because I, I just relate them back to my own life and how much things can change from one year to another, uh, or even, yeah, sometimes 10 minutes, uh, from one point to another. So also I'll say Tom Cruise, Cruz's character gave probably one of the best whataboutisms I've ever heard um, <laughs> in a movie. Yeah. Well, after after he kills his first victim, um, and he's just so detached from it, and Jamie Foxx is you know all pearl clutching over the fact that he killed somebody, and he's like, "Have you ever heard of Rwanda?" Mm-hmm. And he starts talking about the genocide in Rwanda. He goes, "Did you join Amnesty International? Did you join the Peace Corps? Did you shed a tear that day? And I killed one person, and now yeah. you're upset." You know, obviously, there's so many flaws in that argument, but it's just the <laughs> it's the what about of all what abouts um, that that, yeah. that I've ever heard. Um, yeah, as uh, as as they go, it was it was a very powerful one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I just can't think. So, so oh, by the way, it it unseated M Night Shyamalan's The Village, uh, which. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it was right in between the village and Alien versus Predator. What a terrifying sandwich that is. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> for a number of reasons. So, um, you know, I just can't get get out of my head that like the weird, um, menacing charm of Cruz. You yeah. know, like you think even the beginning when he just steps in the cab and he is like convincing him to take the fare. Like he, and it's, it's so interesting how they, how they play so much of this film for chance too, because like the reason why he even gets Cruz's fare is because he's stopped and he's gazing off into the business card that, that uh, Jada had just given him. Mm-hmm. And so he's lingering for a minute longer than he normally would. And that's what gets Cruz's attention. And, you know, Chris, he, you know, he offers to pay him up front and he's like, oh, no, he's like, I can't do that. And he's like, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. And he's just like, he's right. just giving him that little, you know, side smirk. And I'm like, come on, man, you don't want to drive around Tom Cruise for one night. It's, it'll be cool. Yeah. You know, just, you know, don't talk about Scientology. You know, it'll be fine. <laughs> um, so anyway, but it's, it's, uh, you know, he's just um, so persuasive, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. and, and the movie and, and uh, it's, it's really interesting. And, and I, I wonder what you guys' take is, you know, because you know, I said those things about sort of the connectedness to to other people, and I think that is what really kind of, in some way, that that saves Jamie Foxx. I think um, maybe maybe not directly, but that connection to people and that sort of empathy, um, you know, drives his decisions, um, and it does he does get a boost from Cruz and the places where he needs it, I think. But, you know, they have this showdown at the end and, you know, talk about randomness and fate, the fact that he could, yeah, the fact that he could survive that, <laughs> um, the, the way that he does. Um, but, you know, they have that brief conversation that circles back around to, you know, the, 
the guy who dies on the subway and stuff. And he just kind of has this sort of calm conversation. It's just a calm couple of lines to Jamie Foxx. And I feel like there's this weird kind of, I don't know if respect is the word I want to use, but it's almost like, you know, you talked about it, Jared, like this sort of, you know, deranged big brother syndrome. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost like, you think maybe he's almost proud of him in a way. <laughs> like, in a way, like, like maybe even on some level, Cruz is kind of tired of doing this job. Um, mm-hmm. And now he has an out, which is <laughs> sadly to die. But, you know, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I, no, that, that was the vibe that I got. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think there was just this sort of, I mean, obviously he plays a an over-the-top character. And, and in, in some ways, he's a sloppy hitman going to the guy's mother's hospital room. Like if he's worried about not getting recognized, you're probably going to be on video there somewhere anyway. So if you put that aside, um, you know, I think they do sort of develop this camaraderie. And when you hear the story about how, yeah, like how in Oakland or wherever it was, the same thing happened and he ended up killing the guy at the end you don't know again because because jason statham's there you (laughs) assume that there's a network of these guys and maybe it wasn't cruz's character but but you're sort of led to believe that it was him and he had done this before and he killed the guy would he would he Mm. if it had all gone according to plan you know would he have killed uh, max at the end yeah. And I, I don't know, but I mean, I think regardless, I mean, he had plenty of chances to kill Max. And you could say that, well, he still needed him for this or that. But at the at the end, after the car crashes, he was done with him then. Yeah. He could have killed him at that point if he was worried about him being a witness yeah. or whatever. But I think you're right. I think it just did sort of develop into this yeah. camaraderie. And, and, and they get into the fact about their parents um, Vincent talks about his father and, uh, basically the, the, how poorly he was treated when he was a child. He even has a point where he says they project onto you their flaws when they're talking about yeah. Max's mother and, yeah. and his father. Mm-hmm. And so I think they, they really do develop a, he does develop a genuine appreciation for, max in yeah. a way i mean he really wants him to call the girl and, yeah. and this that and the other right. and so I, I think he does and he's i think he's still trying to avoid killing him there at the end where he because tell- at that I, i'm sorry go ahead no no it's fine say so at that point he doesn't know that the girl is yeah. his last target right because right. you know he doesn't know that until until pretty much the car crash uh, at the end yeah. and so he's very much perversely invested in Max's success in life. And so like in his own real demented way, he really does kind of care about him. Um, And I think that a lot of that is Max drawing that out of him, whether on purpose or not. But I think, I think he draws that out of Vincent and Vincent, you know, kicking and screaming draws Mm -hmm. the confidence and the ambition to do something with his life out of Max. I mean, he kind of kicks him out of the airplane to do it, but (laughs) yeah, right. But it, but it happens. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite, and it's a tiny small point, but you mentioned the car crash and you know, Vincent, I mean, if he really didn't care, could have just killed him then. I mean, you know, you know, the fact that he put him through that, but I love uh, Vincent, Tom Cruise's reaction, his character, he just gets like some sort of like baton or stick and just like starts 
hitting yes, yes. Max with it, yes. which is yes. so like this, like, like pretty, like this little Big childish sort of like, how dare you try to kill us in a car? You know, it was, it was, it well, had this little element of just this, this chemistry I, that had been developing. <laughs> after the hospital, I know this is so morbidly hilarious. This movie at certain yeah. times, these, these, the, you know, spoiler alert after they listen to to go visit his mother, like Max escapes with his briefcase that has all his materials oh, yeah. and throws it off the overpass. And like, even now I've seen this movie several yeah. times. Like my wife and I were watching it and we're like, well, what did you think was going to happen? Like, like that is just mm-hmm. the move of a desperate person who has not thought this all the way through. <laughs> um, and the response by Cruz, maybe it's not this scene. I think it's this scene it, or maybe it's later on, but he's, but he just yells at him and goes, you are interfering with my work. Yeah. yeah like like he's, it, like he's chiding a small child who is throwing a ball around while he's trying to work from home or something like it's, it's yeah. so, it's so hilarious. Um, how he just treats him like a, you know, like a little brother. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's weird. But, yeah, but it's and, funny, and and I think it endears you to Cruz's character that he could kill all these people, have so little regard for human life, mm-hmm. but for whatever reason, this everyman sort of character that's never achieved what he wanted to in life mm-hmm. that you're that you're rooting for, he takes an interest in him and and wants him to succeed. So so it re- like you said, it really does make Vincent's character charming in a way yeah. and, and 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 there at the end yeah he 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 obviously holds he's, he's trying to avoid killing max because when he's he's there and they're both having their little standoff he's like max i do this for a living so right. so he's got he's got the confidence that if he I don't, I, yeah you're not gonna win he he could if he wanted to just you know swoop around there and 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 shoot him or at least he would he would think that he could do that but he's trying to avoid doing that mm. And and then even at the end, when he finally does get shot and knows he's going to die, he's still got enough juice that if he, that if he had hard feelings about it, he could he could probably kill him with his bare hands or something. Well, but he just yeah. pulls a he pulls a Thanos and just sits down <laughs> right. to die, you know. Well, and that's the interesting thing is that they, you know, they unload their their clips at each other. Mm-hmm. And it, which is excellently shot, by the way, with the lights going in and out on the subway and, and they're mm-hmm. shooting through a subway door and um, not something I didn't really pay attention to the, the first few times I saw it. But more so this time is that uh, Max is completely out of bullets, yeah. but it's not a time that Vincent realizes he's been shot because he's searching. He's about to reload. Like yeah. he's got more bullets. So he could just reload and finish the job. But once he realizes he's been hit, like you said, he just Thanos is it. He's like, well, you got me. Yeah. So I'm going to sit down now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's that indifference to his character. He says that early on. He goes, you know, I'm indifferent. You know, I, I you know, don't have any attachment to these people. And so, you know, you get this real sense that it is. You know, this is the old mafia mentality of it's not personal, it's business for him. Like, right. like I'm only killing the people that I'm being paid to kill. Like I'm not I don't have any interest in, you know, it's like I don't have a I don't have a uh, 
a, a sanctity for human life, but uh, you know, there's no reason to just kill people for no reason. Right. Um, you know, if I'm not getting killed, you know, you're good at something, don't do it for free, right? Or something, you know, the right. Joker quote. But um, yeah, you know, it seems to be the vibe from him is just like, you know, I don't, I don't want to kill you if I don't have to. Right. Um, kind of thing, and and especially Max, I think, because I think he does had take a liking to him, and doesn't want to, and and stuff. But he is interfering with his work, so yeah. you know <laughs> he's got. Some, but um, anyway, it's it's just uh, yeah, it's it's twisted, um, it's twisted, but it's a fascinating uh, watch. I think I've used that word like eight times in this episode, <laughs> but it's, it's 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 good. Yeah. One one thing, and this this could be this is I know this I'm always bringing up like the tiny inconsequential things, but it made me laugh because I think we had talked about it in a previous podcast way back um, with and you bringing up Tom Cruise, um, possibly being one of your favorite actors. One thing that I really appreciate, and I saw this again in this one, was how just committed he is to um, acting to like not breaking in a scene or in a shot. Um, and so you know later on towards the end of the film. Um, end of the film in the skyscraper, you know, in the dark kind of office area, he throws a chair through a window, breaks the window, jumps through, lands on the chair and falls over and, but gets up and continues to run out, you know, outside of the shot. That was all, you know, he obviously didn't mean to trip like that, but just kind of stayed in character and kept going. And I was just really impressed. And it reminded me, I don't know. I know I talked to Steven about this. I don't know if you'd seen Jared, the, the most recent, I guess a couple years ago, the, the uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, I, the, I guess I, I, did, I still haven't six. seen it. But yeah, it's it's kind of like become like you know just kind of this action big big well produced, mm-hmm. somewhat mediocre but really still impressive for what they accomplish. Um, film, mm-hmm. but he he does this thing where he's you know running across you know buildings and jumping across roofs. And there's one scene where he you know jumps over this roof and as he's like lands he you and you can see in the shot. I mean it's bad. He breaks his ankle. Oh, I remember that. Brutal. Yeah. Yeah. But this is the commitment that, I mean, you know, for all of his, you know, pros and cons, like one thing that is so incredible, he, he does not, uh, bust a shot. Like he does not hurt any shots. So like he, even with breaking his ankle, he climbs up and run like limps almost out of the shot. And then that's when he like lets people know, Oh, Hey guys, I broke my ankle. Sorry. You know, but he, he doesn't like any, any other person like falling on a chair would just be like, oh, yeah. sorry, guys, I messed that up. Let's do that yeah. again. Or, you know, hey, guys, I broke my ankle. But he makes sure he completes what he's supposed to do. And then and I and so seeing him with the chair and fall, it just reminded me that I was like, man, this guy, I, I'm really impressed. And I love how a lot of times when that happens, those takes end up in the film, like with the in Fallout. Mm-hmm. The one where he broke his foot, his ankle, actually, for whatever reason, ended up that they used that shot. And so, I don't know, that those two together, I was really, it reminds me of just how committed and, uh, like, just impressive. Um, he, he does not, I don't know, he, he really takes it seriously. Yeah. But I guess I wouldn't fault anyone if they did break. I mean, like, not that, <laughs> not that you don't take it seriously if you do break it. I'm like, <laughs> hey, guys, I can't um, finish this. I'm really hurt right now, but... <laughs> So, but anyway, in this, in this episode, Tim throws shade at actors who <laughs> refuse to Suffer finish the scene audience. when they break bones. With a bunch of snowflakes. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh man. Um, 
So there's some some funny little uh, pieces of trivia while we're while we're here. Yeah. <laughs> um, according to Michael Mann, Vincent is a man able to get in and out of anywhere without anyone recognizing or remembering him. To prepare for the movie, Tom Cruise had to make FedEx deliveries in a crowded Los Angeles market without anyone recognizing him. Nice. Yeah. And um, talking about all this commitment to training, uh, Mark Ruffalo underwent rigorous weapons training so he would be look, look believable wielding a gun despite never using the gun in the movie. Interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which talk about, and while you're looking, talk about a, a, a heartbreaking but really impressive turn in a story. You're, you are getting to know this Mark Ruffalo, char- you know, his character – and you, there's this moment where he, you know, he gets Max. He knows what, you know, he's like, oh, don't worry, Max. I know what you're, you know, I believe you that you're not Vincent. Come mm-hmm. with me. And you think, oh, there's, you know, something's looking up. And out of nowhere, uh, just yeah, uh, I, that that scene still, I mean, I, yeah, still surprises me. And just it's such a what a like let down, but it works so well. It, also too you look at that and like Cruz comes up to him like he's like Ooh, we got out of this yeah like that was yeah. a close he's one like, i saved you yeah yeah well yeah. and it, it reminded me it actually reminded me of another tom cruise movie where tom cruise is on the other side he's playing basically the max the jamie fox character uh minority report where oh. Col- where colin farrell figures out oh, yeah. that it wasn't yes. Cruz's character who that, that it was a setup. And so he's presenting the evidence to the guy, to Max. Um, I think, is it Max von uh, Seidel that is the character? So. Um, but it, so he's doing that and then he shoots him and that would have exonerated Cruz's character. And then he, and it is such a like gut punch moment of you're like, yeah. Oh, that guy was his shot. Yeah, so yeah, yeah that, it reminded me of that. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. How about so that? Good. Oh gosh, we'll have to talk about that movie again sometime. <laughs> um, there's yeah. some, there's some meat on that bone too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, what else? Uh, uh, Tim, you'll, you'll I feel like you'll get a kick out of this. Apparently, prior to Jamie Fox, uh, Adam Sandler was considered for the role <laughs> of wow. Max. Which, listen, in 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 2021. Uh, Adam Sandler in that role, you know, post Uncut Gems. Mm. I, I'd I'd watch a trailer of that just to yeah. get a vibe for how that would be. <laughs> um, but 2004, Adam Sandler. Um, yeah. You know what? Just for the heck of it, hold on. Let's see what kind of movies Mr. Sandler was making in 2004, <laughs> just so we can get an idea here of. Uh, how that happened watch out i won't be able to find the uh, thing anymore but let's this, see yeah what what were, were we in like deuce bigelow male gigolo territory back then or let's i don't know see. i don't know where we were well okay T- to be fair 2003 was punch struck love um which was a serious role yeah but 2004 yeah 2004 was 50 first dates um and uh you know he was just a couple of years um, uh, removed from Mr. Deeds and the hot chick um, and would go on to uh, Spanglish and The Longest Yard. So, yeah. 
probably for the best. Yeah. That, that it ended up the way that it did. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, there's a. Um, this is, uh, yeah, just. Um, I mean, I think just one of my. I'd say one of my forgotten favorites. Um, I was really, I think, passionate about this probably for about a year or so uh, when it came out. And then, you know, it just kind of fell by the wayside. But really, um, you know, if you haven't seen 2004's Collateral, uh, you're really missing out. Um, it's it's not currently on any streaming service. Um, uh, I think it, it, it cycles on and off, though. I've seen it on the major services before. Uh, I think it's just in a down period right now, but um, you know, currently it is rentable uh, for like two ninety nine on Amazon, which is uh, worth it. You know, you get any of that extra stimulus money uh, coming. You know, spare a little for for rent and collateral; it'll, it'll be worth it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Any uh, any other lingering thoughts on on uh, collateral for you guys? I think that's it for me. Um, yeah, I think I think that pretty well wraps it. I I, I was gonna say yeah, I, I like you, you pointed out something that um, that kind of crossed my mind too is is kind of that opening scene between Jada Pinkett Smith and and Jamie Fox is is a scene to me that could could have very easily come across as hokey and yeah. forced and it was very charming and believable. Like if you told me the setup was this U.S. this, you know, attractive U.S. attorney, high profile U.S. attorney is giving her card to the cab driver. Like, eh, okay. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. But they, they made it work. They made it yeah, believable. And really I think, did. I think if, if that had struggled, then that sets a, you know, that sets a bad tone for the rest of the film. So that, that was something else that stood out to me as, as them doing a a really good job with, with that setup. Yeah. And in hindsight, um, prior to watching this again, I had always thought of Jada Smith as like a sort of a damsel a little bit. And I had heard, you know, chatter from other critics and stuff that like, well, the first half of the movie is really good, but you know, it starts to kind of get on, you know, uh, uneven and towards the end and stuff. And I immediately start thinking about when Max goes again, before I saw it again into like hero mode or something, you know, trying to rescue her and she's being kind of damselly, but that's not really how it was going back again. Like you see her in the beginning, she's very strong and confident. And honestly, like their confidences, his confidence of being a driver and knowing the city that he loves and, you know, living in his world of that cab and her just being the strong, confident woman that she is. And for good reason. I mean, she, if we think about this for a second, she's a U.S. attorney about to take down like a major drug dealer. Um, so she's she's not one to mess with, you know, um, you know, just no Joe or Jill, Jane, you know, nobody can can do that. Um their confidences come to a head at one another just over that bet about which route is the fastest, you know? And, um, and so it's interesting, like her mind is made up about him before she even gives him the card. Like as soon as she finds out that she was wrong, 
about that route. You just kind of see that smirk on her face and she hasn't said anything to him yet. And she's just like, you can gloat, go ahead and gloat, you know? And he's like, no, 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 I'm not about that. You know, whatever. And, 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 you know, his humility and stuff. It's a, you know, it, it gets her attention and, and, uh, yeah, you know, they really kind of work, work well together in that scene. And, and, um, and his sort of springing into action and stuff is, um, I think pretty logical because he's not doing any like crazy heroics. He's just, he's working within the mental confines of what he does well, which is sort of seeing the layout of something, knowing the city and kind of communicating to her in very directional terms. Like even then, like when he's calling her, he sees that Cruz is already in the building, like coming after her. He's like, what floor are you on? This is the floor he's on and all this, you know, that, that kind of stuff. And it's, it's very sort of directional communication, which is in line with the way he sees things and stuff. So, you know, his, his heroics, I think are true to the character that they developed up until that point. Um, and then he just kind of gets lucky in the end, but that's kind of the point of the movie is that (laughs) some things are just sort of unpredictable. Um, and you got to roll with it. Um, but anyway, yes, definitely worth watching. Uh, collateral please check it out at some point you won't regret it for sure well thank you everybody for joining us this week for uh, should have called an uber we are going to stick with that title i think so um thanks for joining us for that discussion this discussion on collateral uh we will see you next week with uh something else so uh until until then uh visit us on instagram facebook twitter whatever and enjoy your week and until next time keep working on your night cheese uh, i'm just now i'm amusing myself it's not that funny I was, <laughs> well that that's I was, our brand that's our brand jared yeah <laughs> is amusing ourselves and not being that funny. (laughs) So this might be perfect.